be back. So glad to be back. Um, we miss we miss y'all a ton. Um, it's I mean it's you know you always if you go to another church you always compare it to yours. It's bad, but it's just the way it is. Um, and you guys are such a blessing to um, my family and I. Thank you for giving us uh, the freedom to do that. I had a lot of my my colleagues in ministry extremely jealous because uh, their church won't let them off for two months. So I'm so thankful for you guys. Thank you for the leadership here, the elders who uh, uh, deemed it worthy and deemed it time for us to be able. We had a great time. We chilled a lot. My youngest two children aren't going to understand what's going on with me not being home because I was home with them for so long uh, and, um, that they've never had that much time. So it's been, it was a great, great time we've had. And so we are excited to be back and we're ready to kick off. It's, I'm just, I don't even know where to like start. So I was like, how do I even start with our, what we want to just get done for the kingdom of God? Um, just read a lot, uh, spent a lot of time with the Lord, spent time engaging our, my wife, working on our marriage, um, pointing to my sons and um, just learning and visiting family and doing some fun stuff. And so I'm glad to be back. I'm glad this week that we will be celebrating 10 years of ministry here at Epiphany Fellowship. Um, Wonderful, wonderful thing. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and I was telling them, I remember when people were telling me this couldn't be done. Um, I remember people saying, y'all are crazy. Um, you need to pick another location. Um, I remembered all kinds of just crazy rejection stories. I, I, told, one, I told one guy, I said, we got 95% no's, 5% yeses. And, um, and with even resource development, people development, and everything, and then gone through all different types of changes, neighborhood changes, church changes, season changes, and after a decade, we're still here. So we thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ for that. Um, just a household item with that, uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that you know about Sunday. Uh, during the week, uh, uh, actually, on next Sunday, uh, um, we will have parking available, but it costs because of that Temple University. Um, I think they dropped the price a little bit for us, I think, based on this number. And so uh, on uh, the lot on 15th Street between Norris and Montgomery, it's available to park uh, there. Or if you could park, some of y'all used to walk in already, so you may want to find some parking uh, on the east side of Diamond Street, I mean, on the east side of Broad, and find some parking and walk over. But we'll be at the TPAC Center right on uh, Temple's campus on Broad Street on next Sunday. Uh, so get there so you can get a seat. I think we got six to 800 seats there, maybe 800, I think, available. And we got people coming in from out of town and all types of stuff. So get on there so we can get it in for the glory of Christ and celebrate that time. But during the week, um, every night um, from 6 to 10.30 on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we will have parking available. The city was nice enough. Our, um, our city was in the school was nice enough to let us park at Duckery during the week. So if you park there on Sundays and you're driving in, you're welcome to park at Duckery Elementary uh, right here on the corner and come uh, celebrate with us those nights. And then uh, we'll be in the northeast section of Philly in my old neighborhood with my wife and my family. We used to live over in the northeast, lower northeast, uh, right off of uh, the boulevard. And so we'll be there for the banquet on Saturday. Excited to be able to celebrate and turn up in the name of Jesus. So I don't know if you're ready to turn up. I'm ready to turn up this weekend. Yeah and celebrate the name of um, our God. Thank you all for all of those who filled in. Thank God for all of the people who have taught, preached uh, for the, over the last few months. You gotta give God a hand praise for that. Um, gotta give God a hand praise for that. 
I'm thankful for faithful preaching, teaching, and heard some of the residents got to come through and you got to experience uh, some of uh, the families that we'll be planting. Matter of fact, Epiphany Baltimore folks already moved uh, already, and so we're excited for them and all that the Lord has in store. All right, well, let's stand to our feet and let's dig into the scriptures. Um, we are back in our series on keeping it 100 and through going through 2 Corinthians verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. Um, let's get ready to read there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. You know how we do. We know how we do. So you start on three. One, two, three, go. Amen, amen. For uh, my first time back in a while, the message that I would like to tag this text with is the impact of Jesus' money. The impact of Jesus' money. Let's get it in. Father, we thank you and we honor you for your mercy and your grace that is everlasting and your kindness. Like the song says, it knows no end. Lord God, uh, wreck shop for your name and your word like you like to do and let it, uh, let it, let it, let, let it help us to cling to your word as well as your word be chiseled in us. Uh, let the words um, of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in, help us not to just be hearers of the word, deceiving ourselves, but help us to be listeners who turn into effectual doers by your power and by your might and by your strength. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, there is um, a young man who has began taking uh, minorities in inner cities and others by storm through his messaging and communication lately. As a matter of fact, he grew up right here on 18th Street a few blocks away, and uh, he calls himself the Prince of Pan-Africanism. Um, his name is Dr. Umar Johnson. And he did a few years ago a viral video about white Jesus money. Some of y'all already heard the message before. And he's in this deconstructed unit uh, challenging really the church on what he perceived as a lack of executing, helping inner cities in particular to experience 
uh, comprehensive socioeconomic transformation uh, through the monies that was given because it's handed over uh, to white banks and then uh, it provides and promotes redlining that doesn't impact the, 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 the fabric of the inner city community. And as you listen to uh, many of his messages, I've listened to him and many others and listened to them and heard their heart in many ways. And uh, on one hand, I nod my head sociologically and economically, yet um, there are a lot of historical um, to me, um, spiritual and socioeconomic fallacies that pervade um, their interests. However, there is a need in my mind uh, for the church to take more seriously the necessity of not just getting edifices or edify, whatever you want to say uh, is proper English, um, but uh, in, in, in replacement of not impacting the fabric of communities. Um, there is a necessity, there is a necessity for there to be practical redemption on every single level. That doesn't mean we leave out gospel preaching. Don't get scared because I got a dashiki on and I'm talking about socioeconomics. Some of y'all said pastor done come back crazy and now all he's going to talk about is social justice. But I'm going to talk about spiritual justice and I'm going to talk about social justice because I don't see the two as two separate things. I see the two, listen, as two sides of the same coin. And so it has to begin, I believe the next revival in the city, most revivals happen in middle upper class white evangelicalism. That's where most revival happens that is documented. However, uh, 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 inner city revival is not really documented and there's a desperate need for inner city revival. My theory, my theory is, is the next revival um, that is going to happen among ethnic minorities, multi-ethnically in cities, is going to come from a clear connection to what's put in the plate to what happens on the block. I, I, I believe it's going to take prayer. I believe it's going to take Holy Spirit moving. I, I know what the Reformed revivalists say. How, how, however, there has to be a connection between those things, and you will see as we even go through this message that the church has never really, it, it's, it's really a fallacy to think that inner city churches have not impacted the fabric of ethnic minorities in lower socioeconomic communities. And I don't want Epiphany Fellowship to be raised up as a church that we begin to get a whole bunch of stuff and we get on the come up and the neighborhood is on the go down. I'm not gonna get amens today, that's okay. Y'all should've helped me out since I ain't been here a while, cause y'all owe, like, owe me like two months of amens in the mighty name of Jesus, um, but that's okay, just listen. And so we come to a passage. We come to a passage in my mind, in my mind that really, uh, you know, cause talking about money because it's been so messy in the church. Soon as I said Jesus money, some of y'all antennas went up on steroids. Now, I don't need to do the survey that we talked about a few months ago before I left. And let me ask you that question again, just in case you forgot. Do you believe that Epiphany Fellowship is stealing money? Raise your hand. Do you believe I'm stealing money and flossing myself with Bentleys and everything? I, I don't see no Bentleys in my future or anything. And my own preacher's a Philly. I mean, it's coming. You know what I'm saying? My own there flossing, going like this, and standing in front of a, a white-on-white Phantom Rolls Royce. No, y'all know we ain't in front of that. So let's, let's, let's get that off the table. So if you're a visitor, if you're a visitor, I'm not coming at your neck. I'm just letting you know we're not that church. Okay, you can check the techniques. You can check the diagnostics of where our money goes, and you'll see that we actually give to ministry, not me. 
Anyway, um, and, so, and so the reality is in this powerful text is Paul is challenging the church at Corinth who has the dough, who has the dollars, and who has the dinero um, to, 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 to literally properly not just make a claim of what needs to happen in ministry and in missions, but come through with your promise. If you pledge you're going to give something, give it. That, that's his point. In, 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 other, in other words, Paul is about to tell him, don't complain about what's not happening if you're not contributing to it. Help me today, God. Point number one. I, I, I promise I won't be long. Point number one in this message on Jesus' money, the impact of Jesus' money. <coughs> Generosity isn't done under pressure, but it must not lack hardcore commitment. Yeah. Let me say that again. Say that again. Generosity isn't to be done under pressure, but it must not lack hardcore commitment. Look, look, look at what it says in verse 8. He said, I say this not as command. I like this. I like this. Now, Paul isn't saying that I'm, I'm saying this apart from the Word of God. <clears throat> and he's not even saying that he doesn't have the right to give a command to the flock on this matter. Um, however, what he's saying is he wants to come from a different place with how he communicates asking them to resource gospel mission and ministry to help promote and move God's kingdom forward. He wants it to come from another place. And so what, 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 he, what he begins to help us to, to, to look at is, <clears throat> for me, this is, this, is, this is firm gentleness of Paul here is just beautiful. Paul is careful how he pr approaches the Corinthians on generosity. And, and, and so, so he wants them to show their maturity by not having to be commanded. I, I like that. <clears throat> he wants them to show that you're mature, see, by not having to put up a thermometer on the wall. About pushing people extremely hard. And, and, and what happens is, is, I believe that many, many ministers of the gospel have messed up people's view of money because they expect people not to be generous and believe it's their work, not the Spirit's work, to make people give. And so, and so, and so what Paul is doing something here is just totally opposite. <clears throat> what he's doing is he doesn't create a false prophecy in order to help people to give. Help me today, God. He doesn't create talk, going to random people telling them God is going to do some lie in their life in order to motivate them to give. He doesn't do that. What he begins to do is he begins to do something more powerful in my mind. He begins to appeal to spiritual Christian maturity. Uh, 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 you know you are a gump in the spirit if you're not generous. I forgot I dated myself. Y'all don't say that no more. <laughs> uh, uh, um, um, but uh, in, in other words, in other words, in other words, if you if you if you've never if you've never in your life had to go beyond a command and go to the heart, uh, uh, um, um, it, it is a maturity issue. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. Look what he says. He says, he says, <sighs> by, by, by way of this idea of not having to command and to and to challenge this reality, he says, <laughs> but to prove by earnest by the earnestness of others. That your love also is, gen uh, is, is genuine. I, I like that. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> what he's saying is, is I want to use the Macedonian church's inordinate generosity. Because the Macedonian church was the inner city hood church with no, no, they had no dough, no dinero. 
They didn't have none of that. However, they begged Paul, remember last time, they begged Paul to participate in gospel mission, not for what they could get out of it, but what they could see happen based on their economic and spiritual participation in what God wants to do. And so they begged, and so Paul says, I gave you that story basically uh, to help you in your mind uh, to, to, to basically have this idea where Paul says, I want uh, uh, to, to prove your earnestness. In other words, I want to show you them so that I can show you what earnestness look like. But as you look at people who had none, because remember, this was the church with a lot of dough, okay? So what he wants to do is he says, look at them who had no dough. They, had, they begged to give. Look at you and you'll see later. He said, a year ago, y'all made pledges and I ain't seen nothing in the count, account yet. You know what I'm saying? And so, and, so, and so what Paul says is I want to prove, he says, so I'm utilizing them as, the, the word prove here means to test something under fire. In other words, he's using the generosity of the Macedonians as a way to test the authenticity of the pledge of the Corinthian church. This is very, very powerful uh, um, um, to me because when I think back to some inner city churches, as a matter of fact, I was at Progressive Chicago uh, a few uh, weeks ago, and a group of us pastors met there to send the Crawford the Ritz and his wife to spend some time under them, listening to them minister to us on 45 years of marriage. And so as we're, as we're, as we're receiving, uh, we take a break, and Charlie Dates takes me into the back, and I didn't know that the Progressive Baptist Convention started in Progressive Chicago right there beside those projects. And we go downstairs to this, like, room, and it's like a history room. I mean, the thing is fly. I mean, it's, it's a really, really nice history room. And he showed me two pulpits, and he, he showed me two pulpits, and he said, on the, this one and this one, Dr. Martin Luther King helped foster the movement of civil rights and social justice in Chicago from this church's pulpit. I'm looking in there, and he begins to point to unknown people who made significant sacrifices um, to help to promote resourcing not only the civil rights movement, but also comprehensive care of needy people in the neighborhood that helped it to be sustained in the midst of racial segregation and injustice. And guess where that flowed from? The local church. And so what was beautiful about that reality is we need to not just point back. A lot of people on their heritage ministry now and want to blast like nothing's happened in the past, not recognizing that we, start, we stand on the shoulders of the sacrifices of others. If we would look back and see what God, I ain't preaching no ancestor worship, so don't get scared. Like pastor's going to ancestor, he's going to be levitating with his legs crossed. I'm not, I'm not doing that, all right? But what I'm saying is, is as, a, as, a, as a historical theological narrative of the church in the city, we have to recognize that one of the most powerful things, and I'll give some stories later, was the sacrifices that they made. We shouldn't just want to come hear a word. We shouldn't just want to come have a place for our children. We shouldn't just want to have a place where we can have air conditioning. But what does our presence, listen, here help to do besides people say, I see people going in and out of there, but nothing's happening in here. There is a necessity for that as we look at that. <coughs> it should challenge us and test us. In other words, what Paul is doing is helping the people of God to be brought down to their character level. Uh, y'all know I'm a foodie and I like food. I like reduction sauces. I love reduction sauces. Um, you know, they got this one called a port wine reduction, and what they do is they heat it up and it reduces down. They put, it's, you use it as a demi glaze on a good steak. 
a good steak. See, that's the only kind of steak sauce you can use is a reduction like that. So you pull out A1 and Heinz Platow, throw it out the window. <clears throat> but what they do with this reduction is the sauce starts very liquidy. And as they heat it up, it reduces down. And the more, even though it's less sauce later, it reduces down to have more body, it has more richness, and it has more flavor. What Paul is trying to do is reduce the liquid messiness of God's people that's watered down by too much stuff to reduce them down to the bare minimum of what makes us the salt of the earth. And what God is calling us to do as the church is to be reduced. Sometimes God can do more. Most times in the Bible, God does more with less than more. <clears throat> he does less than more, and so he's challenging them on this and, and, and helping the Corinthians to develop and formate their mind on this is interesting. <clears throat> As I begin to look at this, and he says, this is not by command. Christ Jesus, although he received commands from the Father, you rarely in the four Gospels, the three synoptics and the four Gospels, rarely ever hear him talk about being commanded by the Father. When you hear his motivation for it, it's gone from command to devotion. I wish one day, I want to one day do a, just a sermon series on the I must statements of Jesus. And, and what, what Jesus tells them is, 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 he said, I must go up and suffer many things from the tribes, and the, from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, if it was me, I would say the only reason I'm doing this is because God the Father said do it. You know what I'm saying? Not effectual. <laughs> Jesus, that's why we call it the passion of the Christ. In other words, Christ was passionate about, this is beautiful, about what his giving was going to do in our lives. I'm getting ahead of myself. But see, 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 the reality of that is that's what we have to begin to do. That's what we have to begin to do is we, we're in the entrepreneurial society where everybody is building a brand for themselves. You got real quiet on that part. And I'm not mad that you want to start some, start something. But at the end of the day, what does God's kingdom get out of your desire to blow up your eyes? And so, and, so, and so this beautiful thing that Paul walks us through in helping us with this is he wants them uh, to show this, <laughs> that your love is genuine also. This is beautiful. <laughs> he said, I, I believe that your love is genuine, but your love can't be gen genuine through verbiage. Now, now, what happens is you know your love is genuine. This is how you know your love is genuine. Let's, let's make this real practical. Is when you see something happen because of you resourcing it, and your affections for Jesus grow. Let me see if I can make a plan. Let me see if I can make it. I'll never forget when we, um, when we resourced the money for Malawi uh, to get the uh, school built, Mercy High School. And Sister Harriet began telling me about when she went there for the first time, not seeing the high school built, and seeing the high school built. For her, it was, it was interesting to me as I began to think about her telling that story. And she says, if you went there when nothing was there, I mean, you wouldn't have thought of anything being there. Coming back a year later, now seeing a high school built with 150 young men and women no longer having to walk two hours to school, but going in their community and it being in place. And now there's a waiting list broke her down. 
See, 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 giving should, should have that type of impact on you. I'm not saying that there's no reciprocating treasure based on Matthew chapter uh, 6 verses about the ninth verse to the 14th verse. I'm not saying that you don't build for yourself treasures that are imperishable versus tra- perishable. However, that's not the only reason we give. We don't just give because we believe if I give this, God's going to stop my business. If God gives me this, God's going to get my bank account like this. No, sometimes it's just for you to be in on what God already wants to do. That's enough. It's enough to just be in on it and to be able to say, man, I can't believe that God allowed me to be a part what he was sovereignly planning before the foundations of the earth. I get a chance to resource that thing. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. That that, that reality is so beautiful um, as we look at that reality of there being, you know, my, my desire for us is that we would be ministries of generational impact. And that if Christ isn't coming back for another thousand, that there would be a residual like reverb on the block and in the city and in the world of the fact that you pass through here. Let me see if I can make it plain. Most HBCUs started in the basements of churches. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not ahead of myself. I'm I'm at a good place. (laughs) It's interesting. Same guy, Umar Johnson, is trying to buy St. Joe's College. Now, if you know anything about uh, St. Joseph's College um, in Virginia, it's a historically black college. It It was one of the first colleges the black women who were single moms could bring their babies and raise them on campus. Okay, historic school. What's interesting is that school shut down. Now he wants to buy it and start a pan-Africanistic sort of like boarding school for black kids. Now, you know me, I'm a nerd. So I did some research on St. Joe's College. And guess who started St. Joe's College? An archdeacon in the Episcopal Church named James Solomon Russell. Guess what we find out? That after slaves were, uh, uh, slavery was abolished what happened was, it's a stat out there that says only 5% of freed slaves were literate. 5%. Once the church began to take on the charge of literacy for an 100-year period, this is crazy, as a part of their gospel mission while sharing the gospel and starting schools and starting literacy programs, the literacy level of black people after slavery went from 5% to 70%. So the, black, so the church ain't done nothing for nobody, huh? Hasn't impacted. I'm like, Negro, you wouldn't even be able to read if the church. <laughs> don't get me started, man. My white folk, don't go up to them and say Negro. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Wouldn't be good. But <clears throat> so, so what I'm saying is, is uh, the, the church has always in the city always been committed to this, and we need to grab a hold of the legacy of the orthodoxy of the church. Now, this is my problem. Help me. We like to grab on the, in in evangelicalism, we like to grab a hold of the orthodoxy, not the orthopraxy. Ah. We we, we like to talk about the soulless, and we like to talk about inerrancy and infallibility, which is of stupendous importance. The centrality of the Word of God, the centrality of the glory of God, all that's good. We need to now port wine, reduce ourselves into the reality of being able to see some of that hit the block. (sighs) 
And so, and so now, what, this, this is what we're here for, and so it's beautiful to see this legacy. I got to go to my next one. I got like two more points. Let me go. <clears throat> Jesus sets the tone for generosity, period. He sets it. This is beautiful. He said, verse 9, <clears throat> he said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that. <clears throat> I like, he said, I, I've already explained this stuff to you. Like, I've already explained this to you, homie. He says, that though he was rich, this is dope, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, this is key terminology, might become rich. <clears throat> so now what he does is this how Paul gets you. When you don't agree with Paul, he go to Jesus. <laughs> See, when you're a Christian and you extract, you know, to, to, to me, when you extract Christus exemplar, Christ our example, out of looking at the beautiful, beautiful reality of Christ, Christus victor, Christ our victory, uh, he points you deeply to the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ as a way to point you to Christus victor and Christus exemplar. Help me today, God. And so what he does beautifully in helping us understanding Christ our example is root us in the example of his incarnation, passion, death, resurrection, and ascension. Now what he does is he says, now, you know the Lord, you know how, how grace works. Jesus left stuff he ain't had to leave. That's what it means. That's, that's a good translation. It means Jesus left stuff. Now, Jesus, based on Isaiah 6, based on John's reference in, uh, in John chapter 12, points to the fact that the guy that the angels were saying, holy, 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 sitting on the throne in his train filled the temple was Jesus. Jesus has, you know, they're not even angels. The Bible names them cherubim and all that kind of carrying on. They're not even angels. That's a whole nother study. And they, 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 they got him covered up. He's chilling, sitting on his throne in all majesty and glory. And the Bible says he left that. Yeah. I don't know about us, but in our come up culture, we're not trying to come down. Yeah. Like, 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 like that looked like you're, 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 not, you're not on the pulse of things, right? But, but, but Jesus put himself in a position where he says, I'm going to, I'm going to in some way I don't understand, <laughs> become absent from heaven with people waiting on me hand and foot even though I don't need nobody to wait on me. People calling my name with the heavenly hook of holiness for eternity. The hook that'll never go away. That we'll join in when we get in eternity with them. And I'm going to fall back from that. Why? <laughs> I, I'm rich. I got everything. I dwell in unapproachable light. You can't even come in here unless you're invited. And if you try to, you're going to disappear and disintegrate. That's what Jesus was chilling in, next to the right hand of God the Father, eternally chilling next to the happiness of the triune Godhead forever. He left that for you and I. Yeah. Oh, you ain't, that, if that don't shout, you nothing will. And he said, he, yet he became poor. Now, now, I don't know about you, but if you own everything, why in the world would you come here and act like you don't? Oh, you know how hood rich people act. <laughs> hood rich people, when they finally get some money, we want to show you we got money. So we're going to bling out, you are going to take like a, a G-Shock watch and put like $10,000 worth of diamonds in them. You understand what I'm saying? You know, G-Shock ain't even a $100 watch, but we're going to bling it out and make it more than it is. We're going to get a car, we're going to put all kinds of wheels on it. We're going to take the dashboard out, put this in it, you know what I'm saying? It's stuff going to come out of there and move around and we're going to, I mean, the, the, you know, that's how we do. In other words, we rich, we want to show everybody we got some dope. And we're going to ride through our neighborhood and nod at people, you know, so we ain't going to say hi no more because we got too much money to use our mouth now. So we're going to just go like that, right? <clears throat> but, but, but Jesus, 
Jesus didn't want to come here in his eternal blingage. Anyway, um, <clears throat> matter of fact, it would have been very dangerous if he would have come here in his eternal blingage. He actually would have wiped us out. So he cloaked himself, came down here secretly. I love it. I love it. I love it. He became poor because he wanted to settle down for 30 years and live a normal life to empathize with our existence on planet Earth. And, 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 and so that he can know what it's like to struggle, what it's like to wrestle, what it's like to be tempted, what it's like to be frustrated, what it's like to be hurt, all of those different things. He allowed himself to take on an additional nature without getting rid of his eternal nature to come down and save us. So he became poor. His parents, when he was a toddler, and it was the time for the census, used turtle doves and pigeons. That tells you how poor they were, because that was a lower socioeconomic sacrifice that God allowed under the law. Okay, so he was, he was born, he was born on, based on a theocratic rule, public assistance. Huh. That's how he came, knowing he owned everything. I don't know how you can be humble under all of that. Knowing you own everything and not grabbing a hold of it. But why did he do it? So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That is amazing. The question is, what ways did he make us rich? If he used to say every spiritual blessing in the high places. Romans says, all things in the Father's, are our, all things that in the Father's will are ours. We're rich in truth. Based on John 14 through 17, we're rich with relationship with God, John 17, 3. Rich with unlimited empathy, uh, intimacy potential with God, Ephesians 1, 17 through the rest of the chapter. We will be able to be eternally conscious, true waking up. <laughs> um, in other words, we have the ability to stay woke based on Christ shining on us, Ephesians 5, 14. Rich with the ability to address life issues with the gospel, Ephesians 5, 16. In, in another way, rich with good works, Ephesians 2, 10, and Titus, the whole book. That's, we, we wealthy, right? I got to move to the next point. I'm hyped. Generosity counts on follow-through. <coughs> Generosity counts on follow-through. Look at what it says. It says, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. <coughs> he said, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. <coughs> it's interesting that in this passage, he begins to say, yo, you said you were going to give to this opportunity. Even the, I'm believing that in his mind, the spirit had stirred them to jump on board with this opportunity to serve, which we'll talk about um, uh, um, when, when we get to the next text. But what he begins to do is he begins challenging and engaging God's people on making sure they keep their commitments. That doesn't mean, he's not saying don't make commitments so you won't have to keep them. He's saying make commitments and keep those commitments. I, I like, I like that, that Paul is saying that to us to help us to really be furnished with that reality. Um, in verse 11 it says, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. That's what I like about this. He's not asking people to make dumb decisions. 
That's not what he's telling you to do. Um, to, uh, we, we're not going to pass a credit card machine down the road for you to pay on your credit card and put uh, uh, on credit. You know what I'm saying? He's talking out of what you actually have, right? So this, this involves thought. This is not uh, 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 ecstatic stupidity, what we're talking about. We're talking about thinking and measuring and commitment and praying and boom, dropping weight on the resource in order for the kingdom to be built. I love that. He said, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. And so that's what I like about this is that Paul um, <coughs> and the Bible never teach, it does teach sacrificial giving. It doesn't teach impressive giving. That there's a difference. Like, he, he's not trying to get you to impress anybody. It, it's funny, my, um, my family tells us, I'll never tell the church's name, but um, my family tells me of a story where a pastor uh, of the church we, uh, they were in before I was born. And um, they said, uh, <laughs> pastor was trying to do a, a building project. And, um, you know, he saw these rich people coming up in there, you know, fly, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, walking up in there, sitting down and enjoying themselves and everything. And he was like, man, he looked at the giving records. He was like, man, look at this stuff right here. And they look good like that. And so he went and did something crazy. <laughs> he took everybody's giving and put it in the back of the bulletin. Yeah. And so that, so that when everybody gave, he saw, so it saw this person look nice. They wearing a, a, you know, back then a $200 suit. That was like a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? And, um, but then it sold and put uh, 50 cent in the offering. You know what I'm saying? And so what built in the church was a culture of people wanting their name in the bulletin based on what they gave. And so it actually got the effect he wanted, but of the effect that he didn't know that it was going to actually have on the souls of the people in the ministry. So we're not talking about manipulation because the Bible says don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. This is not, like we're not trying to impress one another with what we give, but we're trying to honor the Lord and see his ministry going forward. Uh, last thing, last thing, and I'm out your way. Generosity. Generosity has a reciprocal effect. It does. It does. It does, and, that, and it needs to be talked about in a healthy way. It has a reciprocal. Somebody say reciprocal. It, has a, it does have a reciprocal effect. It does. We don't emphasize up front the reciprocating effect of giving. However, <clears throat> the beauty of this is that it does, and God, even Jesus, allows it to be a motivation for our giving at certain points. Build up yourselves treasures that are imperishable, not ones that are imperishable. Not where moth can eat up or thief can steal or rust can destroy, right? So he does, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon of all times that even unbelievers like. Like, even Gandhi liked the Sermon on the Mount. He's like, man, that's a dope sermon. I mean, I would listen to that and live by that. Like, Gandhi said that, right? Not that it affirms it, God affirms it, but it's just interesting in culture. We like it when unbelievers who never believe like what we like and think we like it now because they like it, but it doesn't make sense because we should like it in the first place because the God of heaven settled his word in the heavens. But anyway, um, <laughs> verse, verse 13. He says, for I do not mean <coughs> that others should be eased. I like that. In other words, oh, it was given. Praise God. You know what I'm saying? And you, and you be burdened. In other words, what happened, what, what, what we want to be careful of is for people to give and people, the, the others, like easing them, their conscience because it got done, but didn't care that they didn't participate in it. Okay? And so it, giving in the church shouldn't be the work of a few. 
It should be us on the level that you're on financially, making a commitment to be a regular committed giver to what God is doing. I love this. And then when the opportunity for sacrificial giving comes, you sacrifice to give. So it shouldn't be a burden of a few. It should be the, the role of all. So look at what he says. He says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. I like this. So, so what is he saying? Your abundance, because and I, 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 like, I like the way he, he puts this in here almost parenthetically at the present time. Because he said, you don't know how your pocket's going to look later. So don't let God bless you with resources, and then you get all snotty in the head, and then you don't want to utilize the resource for somebody else because the, every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So he says, your abundance at the present time, I mean, God don't have to keep your money in your account. <laughs> he don't have to. So he said, you know, he can like sneeze and everything go bankrupt. So, so don't be like getting all high, I, you know, I'm giving my money, where, the, where, they, where their money at? You know what I'm saying? Like God ain't, God ain't feeling that. God, ain't, God not feeling your little resources. He gave them to you. He gave them to you, right? So he says, <coughs> it should supply their need, not their greed, their need. He says, so that their abundance may supply your need. Ah. In other words, don't let resources make you think you don't need anything from the Lord. That, that, that's, that's beautiful. So what, what is he saying? He said, because he said, sometimes when you have all you want in the natural, doesn't mean you have all you need in the spiritual. And so, and so what he's saying is, is giving is so spiritual that something does happen in the spirit when you sacrificially give that God causes by his might to happen to you that begins to work on you and nurture you, and to grow you, and to challenge you, and to pull you, and to stretch you so that you can remember who it comes from and why he gave it to you. I love that. He says, but there may be fairness. He said, this is fair, <coughs> that you give for the resources of needy people to be blessed, first in the body, and then to, first in the household of faith, then others, Right? He says, and it's fair. He says, it's actually equal. He says, so he said, don't see the fact that you got some loot and they don't have any loot as you being better and you giving and it's only a one-way street of blessing. It is a mutual partnership between the needy and the heavy. I made it up, I know. Just leave me alone. <laughs> um, one of the things as we close this, in looking at this passage, in their abundance supply and need, he says, as it is written, he goes back to Exodus 16, whoever gathered much had nothing left, and whoever gathered little had no lack. <coughs> in other words, God is showing that he provides for both. <laughs> and no one, and he's saying to them, he said, look, you giving your little money doesn't, isn't going to make you poor, 
and they're not going to overrun you to the point because God is supplying their need too. And so just like everybody ate manna, who, who gathered a lot of manna and a lot of quail, and a, a little bit of manna, a, lot of, a little bit of quail, all of them were full. Equally, because it's believed that the people who had more were able to share with the older people who could not get out and gather as much. And everybody had what they need. In other words, what God provides for you is overflow for somebody else. <laughs> um, one of the most legendary churches on the eastern seaboard is the Concord Baptist Church in Bedford-Stuyvesant section of Brooklyn, pastored by several, but the most well-known pastor there was the, Reverend, the late Reverend Dr. Gardner C. Taylor. Really, the prince of preachers for his generation, he was the last of a dying breed of narrative preachers. He was the one that could tell a story and take you through the text on a tour de force. His, his, his sermonizing is so legendary that all of it is in the archives of the Smithsonian. As a matter of fact, last few years of his life, whenever he would uh, finish a sermon that he had manuscripted, once he's coming off the podium or pulpit, he would hand it to a historian from the Smithsonian Institute, which would digitize and grab his information and put it into the Smithsonian of Washington, D.C. as a part of American history. And some people would look at him as a massive sermonizer. But when you begin to look at his time at the Concord Baptist Church, you will see some beautiful things that happened in Bed-Stuy. When there was economic turmoil for African Americans, post the depression, <coughs> and during segregation, <coughs> and they couldn't get loans for housing, the church started a credit union. <laughs> and they started that credit union as an implication of gospel mission. While preaching the most ecstatic and glorious sermons that are so worthy to be historically archived as a part of both church history and American history, they had feeding on the block. Amen. So what are we saying? We, we want to be that. We want to take that forward. And so what we want to do is we want to begin to, we're going to be galvanizing and talking to you about a multiplicity of opportunities and now giving to them. And so we want our hearts to be stirred up as we need more space, as we need more space for gospel ministry and need more space to make room, not just for Sunday morning gathering space, which I'm fine with. We do need more Sunday morning gathering space because of three services, but we don't want our space to only be given to where we're going to seat once a week. We can't have most of our money going to once now. I'm not, again, I exalt the worship gathering but we also have to exalt the needs of this immediate neighborhood all the way here from Strawberry Mansion. So uh, some of you who are covenant community members, you know what we're talking about because you came to the meeting. And we're going to be unveiling what are some of the things that God has done with that or is doing with that and what we need you to be involved with with actually helping uh, this property that we talked to you about and this opportunity for ministry because we're expanding it so that, th that people in this neighborhood and people in this city and the church can be a part of what God wants to do to both proclaim and practice the gospel in the urban context. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We honor you for the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel um, is a beautiful thing, Lord God, because it is, it, it takes care of everything. 
That's the beauty of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior, uh, is that it engages everything. There's nothing on this planet that the gospel doesn't speak to. But the first thing that it speaks to, I mean, it is true if, if earth is changed and the soul isn't, we're in the worst shape than ever. Um, you can gentrify a neighborhood, but if our souls aren't gentrified by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> we will spend the longest amount of time experiencing the greatest torment that anyone could ex experience, and that's under the wrath of God. Yet you give us the ability through your death and resurrection to be yours. If you're here today because of time, I have...